Welcome back to The Daily Drum on WHUR, Sirius XM Channel 141, 96.3 HD2 and 98.3 FM. This is the Insight Segment. I'm Harold Fisher. What's on the agenda for black legislators in Maryland? The 2024 General Assembly session opens on January 10th, and there's a lot on the table. Arguably, the number one issue is juvenile crime, but there are other issues being discussed this week in Hanover as the Maryland Black Legislative Caucus Foundation hosts the 28th Annual Legislative Black Caucus Weekend. Now, joining me to talk about this are Delegate Jamila J. Wood, Secretary of the Caucus and representing District 26 in Prince George's County. Also, Haki Amid, Caucus Foundation Board member. Lines are open if you have a comment or a question. Give us a call at 202-319-7810. 202-319-7810. You can tweet or you can X me, that is, at hfisherwhur or find me on Instagram at Harold T. Fisher. Uh, Delegate, thank you so much. Welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me, Harold. I greatly appreciate it. And actually, and also, um, Mr. Ami, thank you so much for coming in. Yes, good evening. Uh, there's so many issues that that are on the table, but even before we get to that, this brain trust for the Maryland Black uh, uh, Caucus Foundation is, um, it wraps up tomorrow. But you could argue, Mr. Ami, that this is a really, really critical time. There are mm-hmm. a lot of issues uh, to be discussed, uh, and I'm sure that there have been, you know, a, a, a great many, uh, you know, in the corner conversations as legislators legislators try to figure out what best to attack and what's important. Mm-hmm. One of the things, uh, the title "Building an Equitable Maryland Together." Why mm-hmm. that title? Well, certainly, and uh, that that leads into tomorrow, actually, uh, there will be a discussion around uh, black businesses in Maryland uh, with the the Lieutenant Governor, Rhonda Miller, will be moderating a panel discussion at the the breakfast, along with Comptroller uh, Brooke Learman and several other uh, business leaders uh, will come together to discuss that. But uh, today we had a uh, a few workshops, you know, just discussing discussing different issues. Uh, social determinants of health, uh, procurement opportunities, uh, let's see, higher education. Many of the uh, HBCU presidents were were present uh, there today, so that was essential. And of course, cannabis. I'm sorry, cannabis <laughs> was is 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 an essential discussion. Uh, I see many people uh, leveraging rep- reparations into the cannabis uh, issue. So. Uh, those are four of the topics. There were two others that uh, were touched upon. Next, uh, environmental justice, which is essential, and um, equitable housing. And uh, Delegate Woods talked about that with me a little bit earlier. And so just touching on these different topics each year, I mean, of course, there's a myriad of issues, but these are some of the essentials that uh, we felt it's necessary for us to discuss this year. Juvenile justice, you know, that's something, you know, many people said, why why was that left out, of course? And so, but, you know, we we can discuss it now, and I'll allow for the delegate to tackle Uh, all these. And and I think that's one of the, you know, the major issues, you know, Delegate Woods, uh, just today, as I'm I'm sure you probably heard, there was was a shooting in Landover. Mm. It happened 
after a, a funeral. A funeral. Yes. Wow. And and this is one of the things that we heard from someone who was attempting to uh, bury her son. She was she was mm. not the target of that funeral, but she was unable to bury her son today because of the violence. And this is what she had to say about that. Mm. It's sad and it's, it's, it's very disturbing. And something has, has to be done about this crime here in Prince George's County. It's getting out of control. We've heard this before. Absolutely. The, the critical issue um, in the county and indeed across the DMV is juvenile justice. There have been uh, the House of Delegates over the past couple of, of weeks has, has held these, these meetings to try to address it. Even uh, the, the minority leader, the, the Maryland GOP, it seems like uh, the Democrats and the Republicans are kind of on the same page. Everybody's fed up. Everybody's concerned about it. What do you believe will be, um, how is this going to be handled in January? So my hope is that it's going to be handled in a diverse way. One of the things that I'd like to talk about that I think is going to be extremely important in dealing with the issues as it relates to ju juveniles and the crime is to look at the challenges that have occurred directly as, re as a result of the mental health issues that are impacting us. We've seen a huge increase of mental health challenges, particularly following COVID-19 and the pandemic. Um, that social isolation causes a lot of challenges for people. People don't realize that. That social isolation itself can cause a great deal of challenges and an inability because people just become so um, tense and so excited and so aggressive because they've not been exposed to the great population. And so I think that we're going to have to look at the mental health aspect of it, number one. Number two, we're going to have to look at the ways that we have greatly decreased over the years and maybe even over the decades, the types of services that we made available to youth in our communities. We take for granted that we no longer see the community centers. We don't see youth out, outdoors. We saw a time where, you know, you, you would ride down the street and you would see youth playing basketball. You'd see them on the playground. You don't see that anymore because what do we have? We have video games and we have all of these other things that have occupied our time. And again, has prevented us from being able to, 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 to talk and be able to communicate. And we've lost the, the ability to, to have these communication skills. And we talk about it being youth, but truth be told, <laughs> it's not just our youth, uh, Harold. Mm, mm. Um, and I, and I want to say this because I think it's important um, to, to debunk some of maybe even the myths about juvenile crime. You mentioned earlier Prince George's County. Prince George's County youth crime committal is only at about 7% of the crime that's being committed. Yes, we see an increase. We see an increase in Maryland. We see an increase in other jurisdictions. But I think sometimes we kind of take it a, a little higher than it, than it actually is. Does not negate the fact that we need to find alternatives, that we need to look at um, some of the ways that we can get rid of these crimes. We have to look at some of the programs that we can put our youth in. I remember years ago, they had a program for youth, specifically in Prince George's County, for youth who um, had were arrested for unauthorized use of, a, uh, of, of, of the vehicle. And I apologize mm -hmm. because the name of the program doesn't 
I can't recall the name of the program. It's okay. But, but there was actually a program point. that specifically was for youth who were arrested for UUVs, and they'd have to go through this program over several weeks, period, as a part of their yeah. uh, getting over and serving the appropriate time and attention to the crimes that are being committed. 202-319-7810, 202-319-7810. We are talking about the black legislative agenda in Maryland. What is on deck when the General Assembly comes uh, when it opens in January, we are talking to a member of the Maryland Legislative Black Caucus. If you have a comment or a question, give us a call at 202-319-7810, 202-319-7810. Whether or not the, the data suggests that juvenile crime has only risen a little bit there is perception and then there is reality. This is true. And it, it, even in, in your district earlier this week, I believe it was Wednesday, they, two juveniles were, were arrested um, for, you know, for robber, armed robbery and, and carjacking. The uh, county state's attorney, Aisha Brave Boy, has been talking about being hamstrung because mm -hmm. they cannot question uh, juveniles under a certain age mm -hmm. and it prevents you know a great deal of of prosecution they mm -hmm. they they can't move forward again this is not this is not a Prince George's County thing. This is a Maryland Absolutely. thing. We we've heard the county state's attorney in Montgomery County talk about this. You know that that earlier this earlier this year. Uh, you know, the county state's attorneys in, in Baltimore City, everyone is talking, number one, about this juvenile crime and how these things are to be addressed. Do you foresee that that the laws could very well, very well be changed come January? Do, do you think that that is going to be on the agenda? So might I ask, when you say could change, to change in, in other words, context. In, in other words, allow prosecutors or even police officers to be able to question a juvenile once they are, if they are arrested, a suspect mm -hmm. to uh, if if they are suspected of of committing a crime. Uh, that that is the thing that that the police chiefs around around the state have complained about. They say that they mm -hmm. they can't do that. So it's not so much that they can't do that. They can't do that without that youth having a proper representation. Exactly. That, mm -hmm. And that becomes an issue because, you know, whether we want to admit it or not, whether we want to believe it or not, no one condones the commitment of a crime. Mm -hmm. But we need mm -hmm. to be careful that, we, uh, that the youth understand mm -hmm. the questioning that they're receiving. We need to be careful that they understand the context of the questioning that they're receiving. And so I think it's necessary that the youth have the appropriate representation before they begin to answer some of these questions. Mm -hmm. um, do I think the laws will be changed? I can't honestly say that, um, but I think that it is a worthwhile conversation to understand the impact uh, that it has on youth to understand sometimes Trying to say this in a uh, you don't have to you appropriate can, I mean, way. You, you Sometimes can say this we, we want to be very careful about how <laughs> some of the wording may be manipulated mm. in the questioning. And they're young people. 
they have they should know the difference between right and wrong we hope mm. right we hope because i'm going to go back to what i said earlier talking about dealing with some of the mental health challenges mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. um so we want to make sure that we're giving our youth just as we would give anyone else a sacred a uh, free a safe way to be able to talk about what's going on without their conversation being manipulated in any, any way, without them responding in a way that they're not even sure in the wording that's being used of what exactly is being said and, and what the implica- implications of what being said are. Where do you think the balance is on that, on that particular issue? Because you do make an excellent point. And we know that and uh, you know, across the country, the, the the questioning of of young people, and the as you were suggesting, you know, the manipulation of of information in in attempts to get information to find mm-hmm. uh, other suspects uh, has been pro- problematic, particularly for Black and Brown people. Absolutely. But again. Mm-hmm having a a holistic approach to that i think a lot of people as you know and i'm sure you've heard from your constituents they're sick and tired of being sick and tired mm. so how Rightfully where, so. yeah where is the balance in in your mind well you know i'm i'm, I'm just elated to hear you use the word holistic mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. i believe it's holistic mm-hmm. it's a holistic process and when we talk about it being a holistic process it's an everybody involved process, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. We have to change the way that we are addressing how we how we live our lives, how we live our lives, body, mind, and spirit. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? It means we have to make sure that our young people are getting access to the things that they need, those social determinants of health mm-hmm. that some of them are using, right, mm-hmm. as an excuse for some of the crime that's being committed. Okay. Then we have to talk about who in the community is there mm-hmm. to make sure that their needs are being met. Who is the community in the community is being there to say we're here to support you, we're here to help you. Who in the community is saying what's going on at home? You know, and how is what's going on at home impacting what a young person is doing in the community? And I want to just stop and say this because I think it's a challenge um that I hear people constantly say they say when the youth are acting up you know, put the parents in jail and do this to the parents. That, I don't think, I think we have to be very careful because that becomes a slippery slope because there are some parents that are out there that are working hard, that are trying to make ends meet. Again, I want to back up, especially as we talk about uh, the impact and the aftermath of COVID and how it it has impacted so many households. Mm -hmm. And so we need to look at it holistically, body, mind, and spirit, but also look at it. Look at it from the church. Look at it from the community. Look Mm -hmm. at it from the schools. Mm -hmm. Look at it from the legal system. Mm -hmm. And we have to come together strategically to sit down and plan and stop pointing fingers one at the other. This is what you should be doing and this is what you should be doing. Let's Mm -hmm. come together and talk about what we can do together. Mm -hmm. That's where the balance comes in, Harold. It has to be a, a unified commitment, a unified collateral group of people saying this is what we have to do to help resolve this. 202-319-7810 202-319-7810 We're talking to a member of Maryland's Legislative Black Caucus about what's coming up and some of the pertinent issues 
that are in the forefront uh, for Maryland black legislators as well as you at home living in Maryland. I need to take a break, but Vernon from D.C., we are going to talk to you. Also, Lisa calling from Maryland. We're going to talk to you as well. Do not hang up. You will be able to, to hear the program. Stay with us. The Daily Drum will continue on Sirius XM Channel 141. I'm Harold Fisher. John Mons is next with the original Quiet Storm. That's on WHUR. This program continues on Sirius XM Channel 141 in just a few seconds. Welcome back to The Daily Drum on Sirius XM Channel 141. I'm Harold Fisher. We are talking to Delegate Jamila J. Woods. She is the Secretary of the Maryland Legislative Black Caucus, representing District 26 in Prince George's County, also in studio, uh, Haki Ami Caucus Foundation Board member. We're talking about what's on the minds of black legislatures in Maryland, the General Assembly session starts in January, and of course, the one of the key issues is juvenile justice, but business is also on the line, as well as what's going to happen around this FBI headquarters, should it come to fruition. That's a federal thing, but right. it's going to be on uh, Maryland land. <laughs> We're talking about all of that. Uh, let me go to the phone lines at 202-319-7810. 202-319-7810. Lisa, calling from Maryland. Thanks for calling, Lisa. What's on your mind? Hi. Good evening. Hi. Um, I uh, 100% agree that this is, uh, we should take a holistic approach to addressing juvenile justice. So my question for the legislator is, what is the conversation with the parents of these uh, children, th their children, who are allegedly committing crimes? Uh, because they, even if you work with the child, they might have to go back into a community where what you, what, whatever you taught them is uh, negated by what their parents are requiring of them or their, their broader uh, village. And that, that's a very good question, and that's a question that comes up amongst a lot of people. How are we addressing the, the parents? To be very honest with you, Lisa, I can't give you a straightforward answer as to how we're addressing the parents. But my response would be, again, that we do need to come together and talk about ways that we can support the parents, um, particularly those parents who unfortunately cannot spend as much time with their young people because they're trying to make ends meet. Mm -hmm. They're trying to keep a roof over their head. They're trying to deal with the other social in, uh, determinants of health mm -hmm. that maybe have negatively impacted their households. And so my response to you would be, while I can't say, you know, what exactly we're saying to the parents is, again, we need to look together as a community at how we can be of assistance, how we can, because uh, guess what? They don't provide daycare centers for teenagers. You know, teenagers get out of school. Most teenagers get out of school. Their parents are still at work, mm -hmm. you know. And so it's so easy to get caught up, right, in the mix. You want to get along. You don't want to be bullied. We don't know all of the context. And you said it yourself. We don't know sometimes out of the households they come from. I was very disappointed to learn that there was actually a parent that was involved with a young person. Um, that was doing carjackings that, Ooh, you know, wow. these are things of concern. And I do believe, yes, mm. we have to make 
addressing the parents a priority. Mm-hmm. You are uh, before we let Lisa go, and this may help a little bit. Uh, you are you're a freshman legislator. This is correct. You, um, so you've you've not even been in office a full year, but I'm sure that you've kind of had your ear to the ground. What are your constituents telling you in District uh, 26 mm-hmm. about this issue, whether it's you know parenting, juvenile justice, or what? So one of the things that we have talked about in District 26, and we do have these meetings, we have something called the 26th District Dialogue Mm -hmm. uh, with members of the community. And so they have articulated concerns about what types of services are available to address our young people. They haven't talked much about what kind of services are there available to address the parents. Mm -hmm. And so that is something that I'm, I'm happy to hear and happy to talk about and happy to have a conversation as to how we can perhaps look at ways that we can be more um, adamant and more intentional about learning how we can serve parents better so that they can make sure that their young people are doing what they're supposed to be well, doing. Well, well can, can I make a recommendation Absolutely. next year when you have your legislative conference, uh, and the same goes for the Congressional Black Caucus, invite in these parents. Because not everybody is uh, unwilling to sacrifice a little bit of paycheck to talk, to spend time with people who have power to talk about how they can help these people to uh, provide for their children. So next year, instead of discussing uh, businesses, and I know that's important, but the businesses that you're fighting to get um to get business for, if you don't educate our children and take care of them, they won't have anybody to employ. So next year when you have your conference, call in the parents of these children, not the police or the the educators. Call in the parents and ask them, how can we help you? What is it that you need? And And I'm not blaming you. But I worked. I've worked with lawmakers for over 35 years, and I know spin when I hear it. Uh, Lisa, thank you so much for your phone call, uh, Mr. Ami. If I, if I'm not mistaken, uh, the Legislative Black Caucus Weekend, like the Congressional Black Caucus Weekend, mm-hmm. is open. Yes. Yeah, right, it is right. open to, to you know to the public. So those Agreed. parents, interested, interested parties, um, can come. Correct. Absolutely, and. And that, that's essential. We appreciate what Lisa had to say. And I'm just of the opinion, and I want to just, you know, say a, a little something. I, many people in the D.C. area recently saw a video of young people having a discussion. They were video recording. We were talking about that on this program just <laughs> yesterday. Mm-hmm. Right. And, you know, so my they know the difference between right and wrong. They know like how many years you can get for committing a particular crime. And so ultimately there are going to have to be consequences and repercussions, which, which again goes back. And the governor has gone on the record of of saying that, yes, there, there, there needs to be not just rehabilitation, but there, there need to be, as Mr. Ramiz said, Mm-hmm. consequences for, for committing crimes. And I think, and I've said on this program, ad nauseum, for the past couple of years, it is one thing to have a holistic approach to trying to reach young people 
and to turn things around, which is one of the reasons why, for example, we have a program every Thursday. We won't have it next week because it's Thanksgiving. But we have this Take Back Our Community Thursday where we have these conversations about programs and activists and volunteers and nonprofits that are the boots on the ground organizations and individuals to talk about this. On the other hand, if grandma says, young man, please don't lean on my car, and he cusses grandma out, and grandma doesn't know whether or not he is armed or not, mm. that is not a holistic approach to a situation like that goes out the window. Mm. And I think that is the issue of balance that needs to be addressed because if if grandma's house ends up being robbed or if she ends up being shot or killed or all of that, then at some point you, you're going to have some people who, as I said before, are sick and tired of being sick and tired. And, and we've heard on this program, some folks, have, we didn't lock these kids up. And, and, I, and so let me say this. When I talk about a holistic approach, I'm not talking about a holistic approach in the sense of being reactive. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about a holistic approach in the sense of being proactive. What can we do mm -hmm. to help that young person understand that it is completely unacceptable? First of all, to be leaning on grandma's car. <laughs> huh? Can we just be honest? And second of all, to be disrespectful to grandma or anyone else. So my... When I talk about holistic approach, I'm talking about we need to start it now. We need to start it with our young children in school, right? We need to make sure people understand the importance of how we treat each other mm -hmm. and how we respect each other. Mm -hmm. Because contrary to popular belief, you know, <laughs> when I came up, and I don't know who's old that's at this table, <laughs> right? But when I came up, there were just certain things you just didn't say mm -hmm. or you didn't do. Mm -hmm around adults but the world has changed and the i world think and, and that changed. and that is that is the thing that is that is frustrating to uh, elected officials that is the thing that is is frustrating to frustrating to the grandmas mm -hmm. that is the thing that is frustrating to to young parents and the other things that that face young people and so and so with that said which which goes back to i think the rhetorical question i was asking earlier at least in January, I suspect that this is one of one of the things that is really going to be top of mind for, uh, you know, for black lawmakers, because let, let, let's just be honest, the children that we are seeing who are committing most of these crimes in the DV, DMV look like you and me. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I want to go back to the uh, the phone lines, 202-319-7810, 202-319-7810. Vernon calling from D.C. Vernon, thanks for calling. What's on your mind? Good evening. Thanks for having me. Sure thing. Uh, I'd like to make a comment in reference to the, uh, the young people. Mm -hmm. As I've said many times that I'm, I'm elated that I'm hearing about the holistic approach because and in terms of being proactive because what what's going on and and just a little about myself i was i was a career criminal mm -hmm. i was i never was a in the balance sense we didn't believe in guns and stuff when i was coming up 
you settled it with your hands. But what I see now is the young people, the, the, we need to change the narrative because what they're taking in, what they're giving, the subliminal messages that they see every day, over and over, even when they do the video games and they, they turn on the news, the commercials, everything is in reference to uh, violence. It's in reference to uh, self, you know, being uh, over self-protective. The word I'm looking for. But anyway, we need to change the, the mindset of these young people, mm -hmm. of our future, because that's what it is. It's our future. And and instead of it getting more violent, we need to start sending messages, having public uh, announcement, uh, you know, on the on the TV that that lets them know that they're worth they're worth uh, how to go about learning or attempting to learn their purpose for being here. Because nobody was was put in this realm, on this earthly realm. To be a killer. Yeah, to Vernon, thank you, and thank you so much for your, for your comments, and I think you make some some excellent points, and I think that's one of the things that unfortunately we've been talking about a great deal just just this week and over the past several months. But thank you so much uh, for your phone call. I do want to switch gears a little bit. I I just got uh, a, a text from a, a friend of mine who is in Maryland and is very concerned about the black business climate. Um, and so she said black businesses and sustainable programs as well as negative changes to the 8A program should be on the agenda. I don't know mm. how much you know about 8A, um, but, you know, more. But, but generally speaking, she is saying that small businesses are concerned that the Black Hawkers is, is distracted and out of touch. How do you respond to that? If I can sure. clarify, so if she, since she's talking about the 8A, yeah. that's the federal. And I, and the reason I know a lot about that is um, I'm from Baltimore. Uh, Clarence Mitchell, mm -hmm. I'm sorry, um, Perrin Mitchell. Perrin Mitchell. Was mm -hmm. uh, one of the earliest proponents of that, uh, getting that um, created in Congress through the Congressional Black Caucus. But, of course, you know, we're in Maryland. We are the Maryland Black Caucus foundation and the black hawk maryland black caucus and so i can just say in terms of what the governor has you know been adamant about in terms of uh pushing the mbe a minority business enterprise in the state of maryland i'm sure a delegate can speak more about that you know but but he's been adamant in the state of maryland and we have a unique opportunity uh with governor westmore uh, to create opportunities. So I would hope that uh, this sister will reach out to the foundation or to the, the Maryland Black Caucus and, you know, just, just we can do things in Maryland. So that's what, you know, we, we hope to accomplish. What do you think, Delegate, uh, the Black Caucus moving forward, the, the Legislative Caucus should, should do moving forward uh, when it comes to, you know, black business? One of the things, and... And, and this was a, a, a really, really, um, 
a, a very a very vocal fight, and and that that's the issue of cannabis. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, before Governor Moore came into office, there were questions about equity in licenses. If I'm not mistaken, new license the new licensing process has opened up again, but in Maryland, just like every just like everywhere else, uh, before marijuana became legal. Black folks were getting arrested. Right. When it became legal, black folks weren't getting the business. Mm. Uh, how do you fix that? And so we were, one of our legislative priorities in the Legislative Back Caucus was to address the cannabis issue. And we were very pleased that HB uh, 1071 and SB uh, 51, which address adult use cannabis legalization, will help to eliminate what you just talked about. The fact that when people were getting arrested for cannabis, it was over 60% of traffic stops mm. impacting black Marylanders alone. We saw it. The, 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 it there, there was no question that black people were being charged more than anybody else. It was no question that there were not uh, fair sentencings uh, as it related to African-Americans. One of the things that we saw that this legislation would do is to help with the decriminalization effort, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. To stop making it, because black people were being held accountable for marijuana crimes much more strongly than other people were being held accountable for, like, uh, powder cocaine. But and moving, so, but, and, but my question now is moving forward. Now that recreational marijuana is legal, mm-hmm. uh, what can be done to... To have, you know, to get black entrepreneurs uh, in, in in that space, because I think there's, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think there is, there may be only one or two black-owned uh, cannabis shops in, in the state, and I think they're both in Prince George's. And so we actually had a great conversation about that today as a part of the uh, Legislative Black Caucus weekend. Uh, There was a great conversation about cannabis held earlier today that talks about how we have put efforts into place to diversify the number of people who are getting licenses. We just started a process uh, that actually just ended where people were selected to apply for funding uh, to start their cannabis businesses. And uh, this we this is just the first round that took place now. I believe it's December the 12th. Those who were accepted, who submitted applications, I believe it's by December the 12th, they mm-hmm. have to present their proposals uh, to get uh, the licensure. They The other things that they've done is in particular areas, in ge- uh, particular geographic areas where people were most impacted uh, by cannabis, they're trying to make provisions to make sure that their uh, people can get their businesses, can get services if they lived in that area, if they went to school in that area. So mm. there are so many things, and, and I'm happy to say there were a number of commissions, if you will, that have been assigned to make sure that we are diversifying the ability for people of color to get licenses um and as you said you know unfortunately we're we're still living right Mm -hmm, in the reality mm -hmm. of of inequity Mm -hmm. we're still living in you know the reality of people don't always get their fair share and so i believe that this governor has made astounding efforts and we the legislative black caucus have definitely been in support of all of the things that we can put into place to make sure that there were equitable 
inclusive opportunities for people of color to get a piece of the pie mm-hmm. as it relates to cannabis businesses um, and, and and services, if you will. And Mr. Ami, you you may even be able to to speak to this um, because you know one of the biggest things as it relates to once you get the license is the funding to build uh, the the brick and mortar brick and mortar and and I think that you know again even kind of waxing philosophically outside of the license piece you still have to have the money to go into business just like anything else but as but as we know and if you and if and for those who don't know uh, running a cannabis business is disrespectfully expensive. Interesting. Wow. wow. No, is, I'm not totally aware. Of, yeah, it, it of is. It, it, it is extremely expensive. Right, but I'm just right, talking right, about yes. generally speaking. You know, as it relates to businesses and and mm. getting the financial, getting loans and and or grants or anything like that. And 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 if I can just add, a, a huge barrier to the process also is the fact that cannabis is still not legal on the federal level. That's true. And so people mm, are having point. challenges. They can't have a business and open a regular bank account, right? Mm. Because of the federal regulations. So uh, there's a lot of stuff that point. still has to be navigated as it relates to getting those types of support. I went to a uh, a cannabis plant down in uh down near Cambridge, Maryland. Mm. And mm. I was just shocked, mm-hmm. wow. you know, and as you said, it is extremely, extremely expensive. And so we are continuing to look at ways that we can. And, and like I said, the, the programming, they talked about that today, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, can help some of these smaller uh, businesses to be able to, um, you, you understand what I'm saying, get the supports that they need. Mm-hmm. One of the things that they talked about today was the fact that you know, people do have to have a certain amount of money, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. They have to have a certain amount of money. And this process that they started kind of literally had to be put into place to make sure that the people who were selected for this funding really were committed and really were going to have what they needed. Even though very small, very small fees that are charged, that were charged for this first round um, of licensure and first round, if, if that's the appropriate word, mm-hmm. um, of registration to get these uh, buildings. But people did have to have the appropriate funding so that we can make sure that as we assist putting um, processes in place, that these people have the, the, the startup funding because it's going to be an expensive pro- uh, progress it's going process it's going to be a challenge because of again the federal regulations that might be a barrier speaking of federal as you know that announcement that really big announcement made last week by the gsa (laughs) uh greenbelt being selected for the new fbi headquarters outside of the the discontent with the virginia uh, congressional delegation and Mm -hmm. and and um, members saying it's mm-hmm. not over and they're going to continue to uh-huh. to uh, fight about it. So so we know that. Mm-hmm. But for the sake of this discussion, assuming that this thing goes forward, mm-hmm. what kind of discussions have you heard about making sure that the state will also be able to reap the benefit of having a, a an FBI 
headquarters. I mean, I look, I went to high school in Greenbelt. Mm. Uh, everything is just outside the Beltway is congested. Mm. So we know that. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, has, has there been discussions about roads? Has there been mm. discussions about business? Has there been discussions about housing? What, what, what kind of things are you hearing? So what we primarily know we can look forward to is that Having that FBI headquarters in Greenbelt, Maryland, is going to increase, number one, jobs up to at least Mm 7,500 new jobs. We do believe that we should be in a place where people can live, work, pray, and play. Mm -hmm. And so our goal and our belief, our effort, is that we will have people right here in Maryland who can go in their own communities or close by and be able to benefit from um, the FBI building being there. Also, we'll see an increase of at least $4 billion in economic activity mm-hmm. in our county. That's going to be great as it relates to making sure we have the funding to make sure we have the transportation infrastructure to make sure that we have appropriate housing so that people can get to and from work. One of the reasons Greenbelt was selected was because of the transit, right, the transit access, the transportation access. Mm -hmm. And so those are things that are definitely being talked about. Those are things that are definitely being considered. And those are the things that helped us to get that selection in the Greenbelt area. And so I believe it's a win-win situation. It's a win-win situation because I fully support, you know, making sure that we have people living in places where they can, you know, go out and not have to increase the carbon footprint. They can go out and get on a train or get on a bus and go to work and not have to be on it for three or four hours, but to be somewhere close where they can have access, not just to a job, but to a sustainable job that they can be close to their children's schools. That so, And I think that this is going to provide that type of an atmosphere for us here in Maryland. And again, I say that mm-hmm. is a huge win-win situation for us. What else is on the agenda? Um, you said there, there were some other uh, issues, and I have a few minutes. What, what else um, for the, uh, the Legislative Black Caucus, what else do you think that they're going to be really focusing on in the next session? So I said a little earlier that one of the issues that we're going to be looking at, and I'm actually going to be cross-filing some legislation with Senator Malcolm Augustine that deals specifically with youth and their mental health and how we are providing more services to them in their school age, making sure that they're getting the appropriate uh, mental health evaluations and services. Um, behavioral health is a big thing um, that we're looking at in Maryland because we know that we have issues with uh, behavioral health services, particularly housing for adults and youth. Um, and so that's another issue that we're going to be dr- addressing. Um, I'm going to, if you don't mind me saying, I'm actually going to be uh, putting forth some legislation um, as it relates to wellness checks. I lost my son, Mm. uh, unfortunately, Mm -hmm. very um, surprisingly, uh, two Mm. years ago. Mm. Um, How old was he? He was 34 years old. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry for your loss. Yes, and he he had an issue with seizures. African-American young man. I know my child. The morning of his death, I texted him and I couldn't reach him. Mm. And I continued to text him and call him and I couldn't reach him. I called the police. I called his job. I called his apartment complex from 732 in the morning. They didn't knock his door down until 617 p.m. He had Mm. had a seizure and fell and hit his head in the bathroom. I couldn't get anybody to go and do a welfare check. That's a problem. Mm. And basically it was, you know, can we just be honest? 
you know, this young black man, they were like, well, you know, maybe you should file a missing persons report. Well, maybe he's on it. I'm saying, no, no, no. I'm telling you that I know that he has a challenge. Well, he lived in Virginia. I didn't know at the time that you actually have Virginia police have to ask Maryland police if I'm credible enough for them to go and do a welfare check. Mm. Unfortunately, Maryland police did not respond in a timely manner at all. Uh, As a matter uh, of fact, they technically never responded because I got word that he'd passed while the police were still at my house. What would this legislation look like? What would you like to see changed in Maryland? So what would happen is for the purposes of requiring a law enforcement agency in Maryland to assure that a welfare check is done in any other state, we're saying that if a Maryland resident says, I need a welfare check, and you say, well, we have to get permission from Maryland, that Maryland makes that a priority. Because a well, if, it, if my son lived in, in Maryland, it would have been a priority. Mm. So why does it make a difference if they reside in another state? So what we're saying is if I can tell you my son has some, maybe a danger to self or other, mm-hmm, or have mm-hmm, what mm-hmm. he had was a medical condition Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. he never missed work you know he never didn't show up at work he never didn't respond to his mother when i texted him or called him he would at at least be my to text me and say ma i'll call you later i can't talk now you know Mm -hmm. and this didn't happen let me ask you because i think this is really interesting I, i really only have about a minute or so left but what if you know what is the law currently for welfare checks in the state so if if my daughter, if if she has the same situation as your son, but she lives in Maryland, and I call Prince George's County Police, do they do they have to do a welfare check within an hour or twelve hours or five hours? What what is the law? Welfare checks should be uh, handled just as any other emergency. If you called and said my daughter was just in a car accident, you expect for police to respond immediately. Well, if you call and say my daughter has a medical condition and cannot be reached Mm -hmm. and she may be harmed if someone doesn't get to her, the same immediate response should be made. Mm -hmm. An emergency is an emergency is an emergency. Mm -hmm. Real quick, real quick, real quick. No, thank you. And and I'm a first responder in the city of Baltimore, Baltimore City Fire Department. And so I would love to come to Annapolis and work with you on that. So I appreciate that. Thank you. No, thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you both, uh, Delegate Jamila J. Woods, Haki Ami. Thank you both for coming in and talking to us. Uh, Good luck as the uh, legislative caucus foundation weekend Mm -hmm. wraps up. And hopefully something good will will come out of it. It's nice to meet you both. Thank you so much. You also. Thank you. Let's do it again, Harold. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we'll, we'll be here every year as long as I'm on the board next year. And I'm, sure and I'm happy to come back and right. have a conversation with you. I'm right. I, I, looking forward to that. That is the Daily Drum for this Friday, November 17th. For News Director Renee Nash, reporters... Millette Green, Bramante Bryan, producer Candace Atkins, Wilson, and Imani Rhodes, intern, engineer Bobby Adams. I'm Harold Fisher. Good night and have a safe weekend.